I don't think that there is a right way or wrong way to use Bitcoin. I don't think that there are priests of Bitcoin. I don't think that there are gatekeepers of Bitcoin. I don't think anybody gets to tell you how to think about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a permissionless open system. That's the whole fucking point. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Greetings, plebs. Thrilled to have you with us for another week on Blue Collar Bitcoin. Today, we're joined by David Bailey, co-founder and CEO of BTC Inc., which includes Bitcoin Magazine and the Bitcoin Conference. David is currently also playing a central role in a campaign to attempt to ethically redeem the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Man, oh man, did we have a blast in this one. David fits our BCB style like a freaking glove. This hour flew by and we covered topics including the Puerto Rican Citadel, the colossal shitshow that is GBTC and how this trust should be repaired, virtue signaling and cancel culture within Bitcoin, Peter Schiff's Halloween costume, and finding yourself a new lover at the Bitcoin 2023 conference. Speaking of the conference, if you haven't gotten them yet, get your tickets, folks. Use code BCB23, that's BCB23, for 10% off tickets. In short order, the Bitcoin conference has gone from a small fringe event to one of the biggest finance gatherings in the world. Don't miss out on this positively epic educational and cultural experience. It's May 18th to the 20th, and all tickets are still available, including industry day and whale passes if you want unique access and network opportunities. We'll see you there. Ladies and gents, Josh and myself, Dan, have relied on cold card wallets to protect our Bitcoin private keys for years. CoinKite is a company that's reputation precedes it, making badass and reliable security and fun devices that true Bitcoiners have consistently obsessed over. The cold card MK4 now comes in different colors, including orange, blue, pink, and green. Set yourself up a multicolor multisig. Don't just taste the rainbow, secure the rainbow with these new succulent beauties. Use code BCB for a juicy discount on cold card and access discounts on numerous CoinKite products at our affiliate link down in the notes. Okay, let's get into it. Enjoy this chat with Big D. If you see Dan or I raising a pen, it's just us communicating that we have another question to follow up. You don't have to worry about that or stop. Just keep going on what you're on and we'll fight over the, you know, the scraps of meat. But if it's a green highlighter, David, it means fuck you. Just as that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Now I got to find a good object to return the message. Uh... You can just use your middle finger. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. Uh, David Bailey, welcome in. Uh, we... We appreciate the shit out of your time. Know that you are a busy as hell dude, especially this time of year. And as you just referenced here before clicking record, you've been a rather reclusive character on the Bitcoin podcast circuit the last year. As Josh and I put it, you've sort of you've sort of regained your Bitcoin podcast virginity. And um, we thought we were going to take that from you, pop your cherry, but uh, we thought you had a wonderful convo with Odell. Looks like you're going on with Preston. You're putting yourself back out there, uh, Dave. Yeah, well, first off, guys, thanks for having me on uh, the show. Uh, I I don't typically do podcasts because you know now we have an organization and a team, and I want them to go out there and uh, you know they have better takes than I have, and you know uh, they're like in the trenches on the front line, so people want to hear from them. But uh, 
every once in a while, I got to come out so people don't think I'm dead um, <laughs> or in jail. So uh, I appreciate y'all uh, giving me a platform and uh, I've heard great things about your show. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We thought we were asking, you know, a girl out that was like a soft six here, but it turned out you were so reclusive that you were more like a hard eight. And uh, <laughs> for a second, I thought maybe we were going to get the stiff arm. No, no, no. And, uh, you know, it is 100% fact I have been sick for the past month and a half. So I apologize for, yeah, the rug pull. All good. All good. We're just busting your balls. Well, as soon as we knew that you, you know, you, you gave Preston the stiff arm too. So if, if you give Preston the stiff arm, we know that there's an illness yeah. in the building. Exactly. <laughs> Women don't turn Preston down, man. It, the, 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 the playing hard to get game is just absolutely brilliant. It makes people want you so much more. We've done the same thing. We've not that we get many requests, but people will ask us to come on. We, even if we want to, we'll, we'll, we'll fawn as though we're a little too busy. And then all of a sudden they're, they're fixated on getting us on. So it worked. Yes. I would say those are good numbers, Josh, six to an eight. Maybe yeah, even push sure. when you were four minutes late, you were pushing a nine. Yeah, we were, book, dude. we were blue balling it here, man. We were blue balling it. Uh, well, uh, good, good lesson to be learned, uh, for business in this. So appreciate yeah. the, uh, yeah, for sure. Right. That's the way so to negotiate. What are we getting into? What do you want to talk about? Well, I want to hear about Puerto Rico here first. You moved, you're in Puerto Rico. Yeah. I want to hear about that transition, how that's going, what you're up to. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I have like a, a sane answer I give to people. I have an insane answer I give to people. And I feel like on y'all's podcast, we'll just jump straight into the insane answer. Perfect. Uh, you get you it. You know, the, the real reason I moved here is because um, I'm bearish on what's happening in the United States, uh, in the political system, the cultural uh, system. Um, and, you know, I, I was living in Nashville. It's still one of the best cities uh, in the mainland. But even in Nashville, you see um, the change that's happening. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that, like, I mean, I've been in Bitcoin 12 years now. Shit, what year is it? 11 years. So it's like, I have, like, basically, my mind is, like, at the point where I tell people how I think. And, like, I'm not going to fucking back down. And, like, you know, freedom of speech, capitalism, the individual. Like, I just be straight up about it. And, you know, I felt like I was building my life, uh, on quicksand, uh, in the sense that like, I don't want to be there. And in a couple years time, like my daughter is getting punished in school because her father is a free speech extremist, you know, or like, you know, we, I've done some political stuff, uh, trying to support some Bitcoin causes and like, you know, I don't want to be in the mainland and wake up in the middle of the night and some, you know, bullshit bill has been passed uh, banning Bitcoin and I need to like pack my family up in the middle of the night and bounce. Right. And so I was like, before anybody's going to kick me out of fucking mainland USA, I'm going to kick myself out <laughs> and I'm going to find somewhere else to go. I'm going to make my life a little bit more anti-fragile. And uh, Puerto Rico was kind of like the right balance because... You know, it's like moving outside of the United States, but though I don't have to like renounce my citizenship or anything, it's culturally, even though it's a liberal place, like politically, it's culturally very conservative. And uh, there's such a concentration of people from 
Bitcoin and crypto more broadly that have moved here, we make up about half of 1% of the population. Um, I buy into a vision that uh, if we can get to 3% of the population or 5% of the population, we can make our own country here. I mean, honestly, and and I mean, wouldn't that be dope to have a, a place where, you know, Bitcoiners around the world could go to that enshrine the original ideas of America into a, into a place with ideologically aligned people um, with means and resources. Um, fuck it. And then also side benefit, there's no taxes. So it's like, okay, well, I moved to a tropical island. We try to start our own sovereign nation. Uh, I save a bunch of money on taxes and it doesn't work out. I just moved back to Nashville. So there you go. I mean, sounds like a solid plan from my perspective. We, Dan and I are like three <laughs> steps removed from anything like that. Where, I mean, Nashville looks like Nirvana to me compared to like the Chicago area we're in. And then from there, you're saying it's even better in Puerto Rico. Like, I can't even comprehend that from the perspective. I mean, we've got, we're right in the depth of it right here. I mean, this is like California, Chicago, New York is the epicenter of a lot of this nonsense. Why, why don't you leave? We got solid jobs here. We're, we're going to lose some fans here, but we're, we're the, like, the epitome of golden handcuffs, like career fire. So we're firefighter paramedics. There's going to be some firemen in some areas that disagree with this because we don't know the landscape completely, but like suburban New York, suburban Chicago, and like California are where you make a good living as a fireman. And so we have some of like the best firefighting jobs in the world in terms of pay and schedule and contract. So it's, it's very hard to leave. It would be it would be a career transition probably uh, yeah. to go somewhere else, which isn't, I mean, it's not completely out of the books, but we love what we do yeah, and um, we don't want to I mean, stop doing it, like but it is all the way. Give us a good offer, man. Give us a yeah. good offer. The, I mean, <laughs> let us, let I, us scam you into some fire protection down in Puerto Rico and we'll, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we can, we can find some good, we can, you know, do uh, escape routes for your building. We can, I mean, just pay us 150 grand a year. We're good. We'll make up some bullshit. We'll deceive some people. We'll put the hero hat on and convince you guys to give us all sorts of fucking money. Yeah. We'll wear fire helmets around. People love firefighters, man. That's, a, you know, that's, that's, if you're going to start a revolution, you got to get some firefighters on your side. Hey, I, I'm not kidding. It's piquing my interest. Like hearing you talk with Odell, especially as I accumulate more Bitcoin, just to be honest, as Bitcoin becomes more ideologically important in both of our lives, as I accumulate more, as I buy more year over year, more and more into the vision, this type of stuff was completely would have been completely off the table pre-Bitcoin 2016 or whatever. And now I'm like, holy shit. I mean, even just from the tax advantage standpoint, the jurisdictional arbitrage plays like you can start seeing sovereign individual thesis play out and the incentives working For within sure. you to say that's not off the table at all. Before we get off Puerto Rico, I just want to make sure I ask, because this is kind of a, a very fine pointed question that may not be relevant to most people, but I'm curious because of the, I was looking at the tax benefits of Puerto Rico last night. It said, let's say you have an LLC or something there. The money that you, it's only the money that's made in Puerto Rico that is sheltered from that. Is that correct? It, it's money. It's called export services. So it's money that you bank while you're in Puerto Rico, working from Puerto Rico, providing okay. services outside of Puerto Rico. And like, if you talk to a CPA and have them describe like what that activity is, it's everything. So, I mean, like gotcha. podcasts, for example, you, you, you live in Puerto Rico, you film the podcast in Puerto Rico. Okay. You're working from Puerto Rico. Your sponsors, they're international or whatever in the U.S. Um, and they pay you. Okay. You exported marketing services to that uh, company. You pay a four percent corporate income tax, right? And then uh, you it, there's a something called Act sixty, 
um, where you get uh, an individual Act 60 de uh, uh, de decree, and you can dividend the, the profits from your corporation or LLC to yourself at 0% tax rate. So it's effectively a 4% in individual income tax as well. And you don't have to report shit to the IRS. You don't have to tell them anything. You could be Man. dead for all they know. And so, this is so appetizing. That, yeah, and and like the, like you know, there's just something also like you can feel. It's a bear market this year, but like you can feel the entrepreneurial energy coming here because it's like, uh, uh you know. There is such an insane concentration of people from our, our industry that are moving here. And there's this sense of like, we're building something. And yeah. like at Bitcoin prices of $1 million, which like, you oh, know, we'll my brain is so mush at this point. Like, I just feel like Bitcoin 1 million is just like a done deal. We're uh, just waiting burning. for everyone to, to realize. Yeah. So when that happens, like the, the, uh, the amount of, Billionaires per capita in, in Puerto Rico will be higher than any other place in the world, higher than Monaco, higher than, than Singapore. And so it's like, you know, we will have the means to do shit here. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exciting. And I have an ethical issue. It's like, okay, great. I'm like giving money to a mob boss who's using it to buy missiles to kill poor people yeah. in, you know, some overseas nation that I've never met, probably some chill person. Uh, just trying to take care of their family. And, you know, like, I just want nothing to do with that. Like, so, mm -hmm. you know, being here, it's like, hey, U.S. does all sorts of messed up stuff, but not with my money. They don't. I pay them shit. Yeah, it sounds like almost like you guys have a uh, Galt's Gulch situation going on there, or at least uh, the first formations of it, you know? I'm yeah. liking what I'm hearing. Um, yeah. And yeah. Bitcoin $1 million. Uh, I'll see you there. So when you're all ready to visit, you just hit me up and, and uh, we got a guest house. Y'all come down with your family and uh, uh, check it out. It's cool. At, at Bitcoin 1 million, there'll be a sudden wave of retirements at our agency too, David. We've got some sure. sat stacking Bitcoin hungry firemen. Um, well done. Headed to Puerto Rico, it sounds like. <laughs> uh -huh. Has it made running the company harder? Like it, what logistically, how's your life? You, you've got, you're married with a kid. Am I right on that? Yeah, you're running so a company. How's that all been down there? So I have two kids and I got a third on the way, little girls. Oh, congratulations. Uh, so uh, house, house of one. Um, and uh, I had a few people from the company move down here with me. So like our intention was to open up a Puerto Rican office last year here. Um, just been working from my house because we just haven't kind of set up yet. But, um, you know, I would say it introduces some challenges, but like at the end of the day, like you know, I, I'm a young, uh, uh, entrepreneur, um, and I am not good at management. Like I micromanage things. Like I'm a, I'm the classic, like uh, startup founder. Like I, I have a skill set that may be well-suited for starting something, but like I have a hard time scaling something up and, and creating process and accountability and, and systems, yada, yada. And so, uh, it honestly was healthy for me to get distance from our HQ where like, I'm not able to do that same degree of micromanagement. Like I, I have to, to have our, our leadership team own and, and drive things forward. And like, that's how you scale a business. Like you have, you have to get to that point. And so it's been a good forcing fun function from that and giving me the perspective of like, okay, well, what are the things that actually matter for me to be doing rather than just what I feel like 
matters in the moment. Mm. Right. Yep. Um, one other thing before we get off Puerto Rico, uh, I know Peter Schiff lives in Puerto Rico. You ever run into him yeah. or see him around yeah. or hang out with yeah. him? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a funny guy. He's cool. And what has your interaction with him been like? Like the, I'm sure you've tried to. Exp- I'm, does he actually get it and understand it, or is he just is he just doing this for Twitter likes? What what's the deal with him? I feel I feel like at this point he is just like uh, this is his shtick, and so now he's just like exactly. you know like locked in on it. Uh, you know, I'm a Peter Schiff fanboy. So am I. I've been reading him for like 12 years. Hey, preaching to the choir here. One, one of his YouTube videos uh, from the OA financial crisis was like uh, that and Ron Paul was like kind of like the beginning of me realizing there was such a thing as Austrian economics and free market economics. Same. Like true free market. And so, uh, yeah, no, it's crazy when I run into a little bit like uh, I, I do feel like I'm a fanboy at times. But yeah, he's 100% con- consistent in, in trashing me about Bitcoin every time I see him. I mean, like... Uh, Last time I saw him, he asked me what our plan is uh, to rename the magazine when Bitcoin goes to zero. <laughs> so, it's, you know, yeah, it's pretty good That's troll. Funny. Yeah. Uh, and his son is like a hardcore Bitcoiner, which is also, yeah. uh, also Spencer, funny. But yeah, right? no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, Peter just like shows up at the same parties, has stuff at his house. I was, uh, uh, we were at Halloween party with him the other, well, I guess this is Halloween. He was wearing, uh, uh, Jew Lives Matter T-shirt for his Halloween costume. I thought maybe he'd do a Goldfinger or a, what was the what was the 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 evil guy from the last uh, Gold Member? That's it. Him wearing a Gold Member outfit or uh, costume would be hilarious. The, the yeah. thing the thing about yeah. Shift though, you bring up a good point. Like he was cool before most Bitcoiners were born. Like a lot of people that talk shit about him that haven't actually read anything he's done or trended any of his stuff. It's like. Motherfucker, you weren't even out of your mother's womb yet with Bitcoin when this guy was was spitting some truth. Yeah, he's he's playing a little bit of a clownish part, but he's got a lot of of substantive stuff to say about about broader issues outside of Bitcoin for sure. Dude, it's it's you know uh, it's the ideas that underpin Bitcoin that make Bitcoin valuable, that make Bitcoin what it is. We got way too many Bitcoiners that are all sensitive to anyone who they feel like isn't like rowing to make the price go up. When what really matters is people who are evangelizing the underlying ideas and exposing people to the underlying ideas, and that's actually what makes Bitcoin go up. And so, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of of Peter, and you know, uh, I think that probably secretly he has a massive Bitcoin stash, and he's just afraid to yep. to let his uh, boomer followers uh, know that you know he dumped his gold and bought Bitcoin. It's interesting to hear you say uh, Peter Schiff and Ron Paul. So that uh, that era, I'm assuming, is like 2008 to 2010. Is that when you kind of discovered this Austrian economics rabbit hole? Yeah, like my my. Oh, this is a, a kind of a long story, but my my journey into Bitcoin. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I was like a big nerd. So in high school, I got into investing and um, did a lot of investing uh, and turned six thousand bucks into almost two hundred and fifty thousand bucks. Uh, in high school, but I mean, just, I mean, honestly, just like the luck of being a kid buying things you knew about Apple stock and Google stock and all, you know, all the things that, that did well. And, uh, uh, like it was only making money. This was, I guess, 2005 to 2009 was, was when I was in high school. So, um, and then when the financial crisis started, 
uh, and Bing stocks were down like 20%. Um, like, you know, I'm watching CNBC. I'm like, I'm so educated on what's going on. And the Bing CEOs are like, our banks are sound. You know, this is a nothing burger. Just buy our stock. I'm like, I'm going to buy. And uh, I got absolutely wrecked. I lost like my, my, the worst uh, holding I had was Regions Financial, which I was down like 90% on from when I started buying it to where it bottomed out. And you can imagine like, okay, you're, you're a junior in high school. You've made a quarter million bucks, which to a high schooler is like a lot of money. And then you listen to like the like anointed, respected experts and they absolutely wreck you and you lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, like that's a pretty traumatizing like experience. And so made me like go like kind of like uh, boy to boys to men moment uh of like wow like i i was lied to and i was exit liquidity and i and i just got wrecked uh and that like uh you know that led me on a journey to figure out like how that happened and i saw this peter schiff video where he just like perfectly articulated what was going to happen before anyone else and like once the financial crisis happened like every talking head was like no one could have seen this coming like no one could have predicted what was going to happen and I'm like, okay, there's a video of a guy like saying exactly what's going to happen before it happened. What do you mean no one saw it coming? Like, what did this guy know that, that no one else knew or no one else? They did know, but they just, you know, didn't want to say. And so uh, that like led me down a rabbit hole. And then I found Ron Paul. And then Ron Paul is like such a, a just articulate uh, yeah, he is. Um, spokesperson for uh, free market ideas. And so, uh, that opened my eyes to this entire world of Austrian economics. Um, and so that was kind of like my, my awakening. I got real involved in Ron Paul's presidential campaign his uh, his second one. You know, I feel like a lot of the best Bitcoiners out there are Ron Paul Bitcoiners. Um, but, uh, I got very involved and then they robbed Ron Paul of yep. the Republican nomination. And then I was like, another boys to men moment. Our political system is cooked and there's nothing uh -huh. you can do to, to change it from within. So like that kind of gave me the right, let's just say like mentality uh, to discover Bitcoin. And then I had a few other things going on in my life. Like uh, uh, I had some exposure to like uh, overseas um, financial systems like microfinance, et cetera. And um, a big Austrian think tank, the Mises Institute, is actually located in, in Auburn, Alabama. And I went to school at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. So um, I got some exposure to that. So I had some like cool things that happened. And then when I came across Bitcoin, it was like right time, right place, right yeah. conditions in my mind. And um, I was able to hop on that train uh, much, much earlier than I otherwise would have been able to. And not like to jump around here a little bit but uh ron paul i would say is um like probably you know outside of like the savvy stuff like my parents are my hero but like like dr paul is probably my number one hero like in terms of inspiration and, and influence over the course of my life and um you know one of the cool things about my job is i get to like uh, meet people uh, who are tangential to Bitcoin. And so in 2021, we had 
Dr. Paul speak uh, at the Bitcoin conference. And I got to spend some time with him. And like, dude, this is like, he is the most humble guy, like the most humble guy. And like, you're like, Dr. Paul, like, you don't understand how many people are here because of what you started. You don't understand Absolutely. how many people's li- lives you've changed, like how many millionaires you've made, like, like families you've created, like your impact is so big. And he's just like, oh, really? Wow. Like, this is totally <laughs> oblivious. To and I'm like driving around like- That comes like, across fanboy. too. Oh, dude, it's 100% authentic. 100% authentic. When you hear him talk, yeah, like he's a politician and you, I think we're all kind of cynical enough to not believe shit you hear from a traditional politician or just about any of them. But anytime I've heard him speak, it always does seem genuine. He always seems very- I mean, he's a soft-spoken, gentle guy. It's apparent when you listen to him, and it's it's a real shame. I was, I guess, naive in 2008 and 2012 and thought, oh, this guy could actually do it, but I know better now. If it, the system worked like how it should work, he would have done it. And the, the uh, you know, the funny story of like, the Bitcoin conference, he, um, he had like maybe like a 20-minute 20, 20 session or something. They give like an opening, opening remarks. And, you know, he... Uh, an elderly man now. I mean, he's uh, uh, you know, not as sh- sharp or as polished as he used to be. And so, like, you know, he just goes on his talk track, and like, twenty minutes it just doesn't mean anything. Like, there's no like, when he's done, he's done. And yeah. so, I think he went for like forty five minutes or an hour. I mean, we were way over time, like right <laughs> off the bat. And they're like, should we pull him off the stage? I'm like, no, no one takes Doctor Paul off the stage. <laughs> So he had to delay like the whole conference, et cetera, so that he could uh, uh, finish his speech. But, but I mean, he wasn't shaking hands with bushes or anything, right? Like he was, he's not, he's not, no, I'm saying he's not, he's not, he's nowhere near Biden. Like, you know, no, 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 no. Just like, you know, he's, he's got his talk track and he's going to talk his talk track. And it's like, he's given speeches, you know, uh, I don't know how many thousands of times. And it's just like, he's not a place now where he could just like customize quick cut. Nip snap here, like uh whereas like I think Rand Paul, uh, you know, when you're just uh uh forty or fifty years old, you're able to just like, you know, customize, oh I got five minutes, okay, this is my key message, blah blah blahs. Right. Anyway. But yeah, Dr. Paul Matt, hero. Uh I think he's the godfather of Bitcoin. Um, and uh I owe a lot to Dr. Paul. So and you, hey, something else that's crazy. When we announced Dr. Paul as the speaker, which I thought would be like our number one most celebrated like speaker get ever. We got so much hate. What? From, yeah. From who? From like, I can't tell if it's just sock puppet accounts pretending to be Bitcoiners that like just automatically att- attack anything Ron Paul does, etc. Or if it's just like this new wave of Bitcoiner where they actually just like FOMO follow the price and they see like Dr. Paul as fringe and they that he distracts from the message or something or distracts from the legitimacy of Bitcoin. I don't know what it was, but dude, That's so much crazy. Hate. So much hate. I couldn't believe it. It was it was kind of a shocking uh, thing. But the OGs, like, they fucking know what's up. They loved it. The the hate has to just be the story of your life running this company. The ironic thing about Bitcoin, and David, we talk a lot of shit about this on the show. And this is, this is true of any growing community of human beings is just you start seeing virtue signaling, cancel culture. It's like people are doing that in response to it. It's like 
the anti-wokeness is becoming woke. I've heard, I feel, I don't know where, I feel like I've heard you allude to this before. Um, you kind of agree and how annoying is that being in your position? Dude. How the fuck do you balance it? Because it, even we're feeling at our size, it's tricky. Yeah, dude. It's so fucking annoying. And uh, I, uh, dude, I hate the virtue signaling stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's pervasive in, uh, in our industry. You know, I, um, uh, well, first off, like just as an individual, whenever, uh, anyone tries to, uh, bully me or, uh, won't push me into something like I automatically take the opposite position and I double down. Like, like <laughs> there's, if you want to get me to do something, you know, like virtue signal that I must not do that thing online and try to get a mob to go after me and yeah. guaranteed I'll do that. So, uh, uh, that's one thing, uh, two, like in terms of just, uh, philosophy wise, you know, I have come to terms that the Bitcoin experience is a very individual experience and that the Bitcoin experience is an individualistic journey and that people are on a journey. and. It took me, I'm still on the journey. You're, you're always, I think you're always going to be on the journey. 100%. But like my, my uh, understanding that I have of Bitcoin today has changed so much over the past 11 years, learning new things as things happen, taking in new information and, and evolving my, my perspective, learning why certain things matter, identifying phenomenon or or cause and effect that i never knew was there before etc and like at the end of the day like you cannot draw your experience or decisions about what you want to do from someone else you have to develop those ideas on your own and you have to be truly confident and grounded in what what those beliefs are that you develop. Like you have to have conviction in your beliefs. And then you don't try to fit into anybody's fucking, you don't try to, you don't try to identify with this group or with that group. You do your own thing. And then you articulate again and again and again, what your own thing is. And you know, if people have a problem with it, so what F them, you know, if people want to align with you, fantastic. Great. Like collaborate with people. But like, I don't cons like I, I refuse to call myself a Bitcoin maxi because I don't want to have my views co-opted into like a group identity. Like mm -hmm. I call myself Bitcoin only because I only work on Bitcoin. I'm only focused on Bitcoin. Um, and I, uh, have a certain view of what it means to be Bitcoin only. And, um, you know, my mission in is hyper Bitcoinization. And I want to spread Bitcoin adoption to as many places as possible and in the fiat system. Like that's, that's my driving goal. And so, uh, um, you know, that's, that's the lens I look at stuff through. And, and I don't think that there is a right way or wrong way to use Bitcoin. I don't think that there are priests of Bitcoin. I don't think that there are uh, gatekeepers of Bitcoin. I don't think anybody gets to tell you what, how to think about Bitcoin. Amen. Like, like Bitcoin is a permissionless open system. That's the whole fucking point. 
And um, like, I want people to experience it in their own individual way. And uh, every shitcoiner that exists out there is ultimately going to become a Bitcoiner. Like, there's a there's a term somebody at my company taught me uh, in like Christian churches. It's called seeker sensitive. Uh, and like seeker sensitive is like somebody, I, I don't know much about churches and shit, but it's, it's a good analogy. Someone yeah. who's seeker sensitive is like someone who shows up at your, your, um, Sunday service or whatever. They're not a member of your church, but they showed up because they're seeking answers to questions in their life. And so the, <clears throat> they showed up because they're interested, but they don't know, you know, all the beliefs. They don't have all the answers. They're just, they're, they're, they're there to learn. And Typically, when they're seeking for answers, it's because they got complicated stuff going on in their life. You know, maybe behavior that that church would say is not behavior you should be doing. And the answer is not to be like, get in their face and be like, you're going to fucking hell. Be like, get, get out of here. You, you sinner. It's yeah. like, no, dude, that's like, I mean, that's the, like, the seeker sensitive are the, the, the ones that are closest to being able to embrace the concept of, of, Bitcoin of the, of the idea you're, you're evangelizing. And so, um, like, I feel like we should be, uh, actively driving, uh, people that are like 90% of the way there, mm. but ha are, are somewhere on their journey where like they haven't made it all the way to why Bitcoin only we should be trying to like drive them along that path as fast as possible. Not, not yeah. pushing them away, not like creating camps, not like saying, well, I'm like a, a real Bitcoiner and like you can't be a real Bitcoiner because you know you aren't toxic enough. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just like that stuff's just silly to me. So, um, yeah, that's a long-winded answer, but it's just like do your own thing and and uh, deal with whatever consequences come with it. Hallelujah, brother! What you just articulated is kind of what the conclusion Dan and I have come to as well. Like five years ago, we would tell people to buy Bitcoin. At this point. We don't tell people to buy it because the conviction is the most important thing. If you're going to buy it at 30,000 and you watch it go to 15, you panic sell and lose your money or lose half your money. Like you're not going to you're not going to look at Bitcoin as a positive thing for the world. You're just looking at it as like the thing that lost me money and I'm pissed because I listened to some guy that doesn't may not know what he's talking about. So the what we recommend people do and why we built a portion of our website devoted to helping people say 4 hours, 10 hours or 100 hours, however much time they want to devote to understanding this is actually understanding it, actually learn about it, grow some conviction that can allow you to withstand an 80% drawdown and not sell your Bitcoin and lose it, but actually double down and buy some more when it's on sale and you know, lower your cost basis. And then as far as like people at the conference that may be you know, perturbing to some constituents, Eric Voris is a guy that we've been trying for like I don't know what Dan a year to get on our podcast. He just you know he constantly I don't he probably hasn't noticed us asking, but partly because people tell us we can't. People like you can't talk to Eric. We're like I can talk to whoever the fuck I want to talk to yeah. in my slippers in my fucking basement. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Eric is an OG guy who's got these principles nailed down to a science and has some of the most. I mean, some of the stuff I've heard him say and do is just stellar. I love the way he thinks. I love the way he's a Ron Paul Bitcoiner. I just, I just love his mind, the way he thinks. I just want to, I want to talk to the guy. Great dude. We're not going to allow these clowns to tell us we can't have Eric Voris on our podcast because he's, he's working on Shapeshift or whatever the fuck he's working on now. <clears throat> we want to talk to him. hundred percent. I just resonate so hard with what you both just said that you use the word journey, David. And I think what concerns me is people essentially arriving, whether they know it or not, at a destination in their thinking. 
they 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 think they've got Bitcoin figured out, and we're as bullish as anyone around. And as the years have gone on, the two of us grow more and more squarely focused on Bitcoin. We have very significant concerns about the rest of the crypto space as a viable investment, especially for someone in the middle class. Having said that, we refuse to ever be at a destination in our thinking. And I think what worries me even on top of that and what starts to really reek of like cultish behavior is people literally inhibiting dialogue, telling other Bitcoiners, you can't talk to so-and-so, you podcast host can't have him or her on, you, David, the, you can't have so-and-so to the Bitcoin conference. It's like part of intellectual integrity, like one of the, the cornerstones is maintaining a constant vigilance towards steel manning and finding the responsible people on the other side and keeping dialogue open. And so instead of straw manning, we're looking for the most responsible people on the other sides of the argument. And no, no matter what the valuation of Bitcoin, no matter how high the conviction on our end, we're deeply committed to constantly looking to the outside. And another thing we say on here is like, look at your podcast subscriptions. If, they're, if, if you're subscribed to 13 Bitcoin podcasts and that's all you're listening to, you're fucking up. Like, expand your horizons. Learn about different things. Bring in different opinions because it's in this cacophony that group thinks starts and people lose their mind. Dude, if you can't if you can't uh, uh, handle people challenging your ideas, then you do not have conviction in your ideas. It's 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 false sure. conviction. It's actually uh, it's actually a sign of people's uh, 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 what's the word? Um, like, insecurity. Uh, insecurity. Thank you. Uh, that you know they need to project uh, a conviction when they actually haven't ex- lived the experiences or done the work or battled the ideas enough to actually have the conviction they claim to have. Uh, in terms of like uh, why I'm I'm Bitcoin only, it's like uh, like I I love Eric Voorhees. I think he's one of the best people in our industry, and I get shit every time I say that. I don't care. The um, where I I diverge from Eric is like. I think Bitcoin is the only it's the only viable option we have, and so it deserves our full focus and attention because mm. we have to be successful. We we have to have victory. So it's like all the other stuff, like crypto stuff. Like people, there's lots of people that believe in the crypto stuff they're doing, and and they have users that use it and they like it. Like I don't consensual people want to use something and it works for them. Whatever. Um, like where my issue stems from is just like, it, it takes away, uh, uh, focus and energy and effort that could be applied to pushing forward the, 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 in my opinion, the only thing that has a long-term viable chance of success. I want the Eric Voorhees of the world to spend a hundred percent of their time focused on Bitcoin. And, uh, I think you get there through, through dialogue, you know, the, uh, in terms of like the, the conference, like generally, um, you know, uh, I, maybe this is like an idea that seems like foreign now, but when we started the Bitcoin conference, there was no Bitcoin. There was no like, uh, hey, we're going to do an event that's completely focused on this topic. There was like a couple of developer events, like 200 person. Hey, we're going to talk about like the scaling challenges and it's just developers and it's, you know, uh, you know, highly, highly technical. But no one had said, hey, we're going to create an event that has an, a mission and an ethos, hyper Bitcoinization. And we are going to, uh, that's going to be the underlying premise of what we do. And we're going to be authentic to those values. And we're going to invite and bring all people, 
around the world that share those values with us to come together and, and try to push this thing forward. And uh, so many people thought, there's no way that's going to work. Like, there's just no way that's going to work. Bitcoin's so tiny. There's so few people interested in Bitcoin. It's, it's such a small subset of all the potential companies. Um, and so we started in 2019. It was 2,000 people. Um, like, the authenticity and the purpose for the event was like the rocket fuel that took this conference from 2,000 people to 26,000 people last year. And uh, from a, a small event to the biggest finance event in the world in three years' time. And, you know, things that we made a decision to do at the beginning, like our focus was like, how do we draw people into spending more time on Bitcoin? Like, we're not going to ask people who come to this event that you can't do anything else. You can't have any other interest. You can't be in other cryptos. Like, we don't care about that stuff. That stuff's irrelevant to us. What we care about is like, when you come to the event, your focus is on Bitcoin. You're here to talk about Bitcoin. You're here to learn about Bitcoin. You're here to, to, to contribute to Bitcoin. And like, that's our only ask. And our hope is that you come and you like what you see and you say, hey, maybe I should spend more time on Bitcoin. Like, um, and, you know, we, we might like the first two companies I went to to try to get involved was Blockstream and Bitmain, which was like, they were like diametrically opposed with the Block Wars, et cetera. And I was like, guys, okay, Block Wars over. Like, bring we it want in. both of you there. Yeah. Like, just like, okay, let's, let's find the places we can agree rather than just focus on the places we disagree. And, um, uh, that was our ethos. And like, uh, like who did we allow to speak about, uh, uh, about Bitcoin? Anyone who was making an active contribution to the space, who's actively doing something with Bitcoin. Um, uh, we had Voorhees speak at the conference, for example. Um, you know, who did we allow to sponsor the com uh, the conference? Any company that had a Bitcoin product or service uh, that was there to only promote their Bitcoin product or service could participate in the event. They couldn't put shit coins on their marketing material. They couldn't do the, the, the other stuff. But like, I mean, if, if they were there to talk about Bitcoin, it was in play. And so, like, that was the standard that we developed, and we've applied that same standard year after year. And it's culminated in this event becoming quite large. Where there's challenges with that is that, like, as the event gets bigger, first off, like, uh, uh, control, like, uh, ensuring that the policies that you put in place are taken seriously become more and more difficult to implement. Like, I mean, it's right. just like, you got, you got 600 speakers, you have 500 sponsors. We have, right. you know, 50 people at our company across all of our, you know, businesses. How, how you know, what are you going to do? Like, you, need a, you need a shit coin police force. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you need a full-blown shit coin police force. We'll be on it. We'll just fucking create badges and shit and run around yeah, we'll just, with BB we'll toss guns. toss people out of stage for no reason. Yeah, and, and, and like, I mean, we have people, like, agree to a speaker policies. Like, we are, I mean, we are as emphatic as we can be. But, like, as the platform gets bigger and bigger and people want to, like, get on stage and people want to ha gotta have their company there, they will tell you whatever they need to tell you in order to get up yes, there. Yes, yeah. Like, they will just start, like, you know, I mean, Justin Sun was trying to get on stage uh, one year, and Justin's a nice guy. I'll share the story. He might not like it, but I'll, I'll share it. So he wanted to get on stage. Justin, it's not happening. He's like, you don't understand. I'm a Bitcoin maxi. I have 60,000 Bitcoins. All I care about is Bitcoin. 
I, I bought three Bitcoin companies. I'm implementing lightning at my companies. Like, like I am a Bitcoin maxi. And, uh, 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 like, it's like, just, I can go on your Twitter page right now and I, I can see what you put, you're promoting what you're doing, but I mean, people will just like try to sell you as hard as you can. So like, okay, let's say, you know, for last year's conference and last year's conference is uh, significantly bigger than this, this year's conference. This year's conference is going to be half the size of last year's follows the price. But, uh, let like, you know, last year we had, let's say 6,000 or 7,000 people that wrote in wanting to get a speaker, uh, spot. We had like 600 wow. people who, who became speakers. Uh, you know, if you're batting 99%, uh, success on filtering people out and making the right decisions. Okay. What's 1% of 6,000 people, that's 60 speakers that like were able to bullshit their way in, say the right things, make the right promises, you know? So like when you do something at scale, there's just no way to be perfect. And so right. like, and, and then people who want to like go at you, they want to zero in on the mistakes and, and, and try to, you know, say those mistakes define the hundred percent of the product. And so like, that's, that's bullshit. That sucks. Caveat. Sometimes you also make the wrong decision, period. Like we've made plenty of wrong decisions. I can go through a long litany of list of things that I could re un like undo the decision. Absolutely, I didn't do this. I've, the, the I've got a quick hypothetical question for you here. Yeah. Barry Silbert calls you. He yeah. wants to be a speaker, a keynote speaker at the conference. What's the game time decision there? I'm a maxi, Dave. I'm a maxi. I have more Bitcoin than anyone in the world. I own 600,000 Bitcoins. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll do it. I'm, it's a fireside and I'm asking the questions. Hell okay. yeah, well, dude. <clears throat> so let's, let's game this out. I'm curious. I, like, I actually let's, asked, let's talk I, to on him. Twitter, I, on Twitter, I asked Michael Shaughnessy. I invited him to come. You know, we're having like a meetup of, of GBTC shareholders. And, um, uh, you know, I was like in the spirit of Easter, man, uh, uh, like we'd like to invite you to come and address your customers, um, and take questions from us and do the stage is yours. If you'll do it, let's fucking make this happen. Frickens. Gentlemen, we're going to start, we're going to stir the hornet's nest this afternoon, David. You just wait. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, I'm, I'm all about it. Like I, I like having hard conversations in, in public arenas. Like that's the place to have them. I feel like so, um, but yeah, I, I would think you're going to strike out trying to get them to, to sign up for that. The, the, uh, the other thing I was going to say that's a little complex being in your shoes is like, and I don't want to be mean here. I want to be gentle with what I'm about to say. But if you're the one, it, the people that have a propensity to ask to be speakers probably require more analysis that like if they're coming to you, they may not be the best fit. I mean, we're already feeling that we're getting people asking to come on here all the time. And like, generally speaking, and this isn't to dissuade anyone from reaching out, but like, if you're asking to come on, you're probably not coming on because like, it's the people, the people with the disposition we want on here probably aren't like seeking the spotlight all the time. You know what I'm saying? Do you feel any of that with some of the riffraff coming your way? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, and, and I'd say a good chunk of the, the, the speakers, like we're identifying proactively, like we're like, okay, what are the major topics that we want to drill into? What are the big themes of Bitcoin this year? Like who are the people that have like uh, a story to tell or an announcement to make that could like set a narrative for the year, get people hyped? Like, so, um, you know, we're being like proactive, but we also like, we're trying to like tread the balance of like, 
we want this to be a platform for the community, which means like we need to be accessible. People need to yeah. not be already famous or already plugged in in order to be able to to have a shot to be uh, part of it. And um, so we it's that's a a constant kind of uh, balance that we kind of have to uh, thread. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the 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 people who are pitching themselves the hardest, uh, you know, typically are selling the most bullshit. Yeah, it's like if you want to be president, you probably shouldn't be president because you're some kind of sociopath. Like no rational person wants to do that fucking job. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I want to change gears here a little bit and focus on Barry a little more. Mm. Let's talk about GBTC a bit. I own some of it. I'm kind of on the fence at this point. Like, should I offload this shit? Should I'm not asking you for financial advice here, but I'm asking myself this question. Should I just offload this shit, take my lumps and move on to something better? Should I hold it in the, you know, hopes that it becomes an ETF or I can somehow get my Bitcoin out of it in some far flung future? Who knows if that'll ever happen? Is Barry going to be able to, you know, stonewall this thing for years? Uh, I think you mentioned that with Odell, even if the ETF does come aboard and if Fidelity gets it. I'm, I'm just wondering out loud, and maybe you can inform us a bit about how you think this thing will likely go and what kind of muck has Barry gotten his hands into here? Like, what kind of shady bullshit? Has he done with FTT, with Sam Bankman fraud? Yeah. Um, fill us in a little bit. Spare us no detail because the fuckery is deeper than I knew. It's crazy. Let's turn over the stone and let's see the worms. Yeah, man. So, I mean, first off, if we could take a time machine back uh, a year ago and you asked me the question and I knew what I know now, then I would tell you absolutely to sell GBTC. But unfortunately, you know, uh, the bodies have turned up. The bad news has come. Yep. Uh, the situation is shit. And so I think it's a harder, harder calculation to make now, uh, given that so much of the bad, bad um, information is now, now out there. You know, I, uh, like in terms of, in terms of like where, where to begin with this. Okay. So first off, to just put this into context, this is 630,000 Bitcoins. This is 3% of the world's supply of Bitcoin. This is bigger than Mt. Gox. This is bigger. This is the world's biggest holding of Bitcoin. And uh, for as long as this entity exists into the future, this will be a constant source of drama and uh, influence and pressure that can be put against the entire industry. You have, you know, one entity that could market dump 630,000 Bitcoins and wreck the global Bitcoin economy for, you know, some short amount of time. So, um, you know, fundamentally, like, I think that's an issue. We got an issue there. And, you know, if that was going to be able to exist, it needs to be run in the most high integrity, honest, transparent, possible way it can be done. It needs to be run by people that are like, uh, uh, truly working uh to do the best they possibly can for the uh industry and ecosystem as a whole um and instead in this situation we have the exact opposite of that um you have you know barry silbert's web of victims that he's he's spun over the past year is millions of people and it's not like dgen gamblers on ftx they're like hitting perps on some shit coin that they you know like like those people are like casino gamblers and they you know they go to the casino they know what they're signing up for 
like the people who own GPTC, they bought in their 401k, they bought it in like their retirement account. They were yep. told that this was the most legit product, that this is the equivalent of buying Bitcoin, that this is regulated, uh, like legit. And a lot of people put significantly more money than uh, uh, they should have in this product and um, using money that like they really shouldn't have been investing into uh, a speculative instrument like this. The victims, the damage to the victims is like, I think, uh, of a different level. And um, I've heard, like, as I've gotten into this and I've heard from so many people now who are kind of victims of the situation, the sob stories that we're hearing are like devastating. Like uh, I used to like go through on some like public Twitter spaces and like read out people's comments as they came in. Like literally I would break down like as I'm reading them. Cause it's just like, Hey, I, I bought this thing and it's at a 30% premium. You know, it's now at a 50% discount. I've lost 80% of my retirement. I'm 60 years old. I would have been an aerospace engineer for 35 years. Um, I retired two years ago and now, uh, I'm selling my home and, uh, trying to find a place to start over again and get a, a new job. Like, you know, uh, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, like just stuff that's like, fuck. Um, so, uh, you know, in terms of like the shadiness of what went down here, um, you know, I've, I've known Barry for a long time. I've always had. A, I've always respected. I always thought he was uh, a shrewd Wall Street guy. I always thought that you know, uh, like he's a savvy businessman and a shark, but like not a criminal. Um, like what I've learned over the past six months, I I'm now strongly in the camp that he's a criminal, and that what he was doing uh, was akin to what uh, SBF was doing, but with better polish and better better lawyers and better papering. But um, with the same results, the same outcomes, uh, a bigger blast radius, um, and uh, uh, like it took everything blowing up for us to realize the, what, what he'd actually been up to. Mm. Um, I also think that the fee income generated from this trust um, is really the source of a lot of the things that went wrong in our industry last year. Genesis was the piggy bank for Celsius and FTX and Three Arrows and all these other firms. If, if they had not been there to offer uncollateralized, under-collateralized loans, um, if they had not been uh, uh, getting, getting all these groups to buy GBTC shares, you know, uh, promising them the allure of dumping them on retail investors at a 30% premium, um, then the, um, the size that these different scams could have grown to would have been like a fraction of how big they got. Mm. And so, um, like he is kind of like the, the spring from which all these, uh, Ponzi spring from, and that kind of makes his Ponzi the ultimate Ponzi. But, and, uh, as long as the Bitcoin sits in that trust and pays him out, you know, what does he make per year? 15,000 Bitcoins a year. Insane. I think is what, yeah, is, that's insane. Yeah. So as long as he gets his 15,000 Bitcoins a year from that, um, he's going to keep funding and underwriting uh, these schemes. I mean, that's, that's his demonstrated history. So, um, yeah, I, 
I can go into the details of exactly the stuff he was doing at the at the trust. Um, but just like to answer your your other question of does he survive this? Absolutely, he does not survive this. Like he is uh, DCG is dead. Um, uh, grayscale will be busted. Um, uh, the Bitcoin will eventually leave that trust. Uh, it may hope it's this year. You know, maybe it's two or three years from now, but eventually um, they will get out of out of that trust. When you say they'll leave the trust, how how exactly do you see? I mean, I know you can't predict how exactly this would happen, but do you think they'd be markets sold and people paid out cash? Do you think people would actually get the Bitcoin itself? How do you kind of see that playing out? So there's like a wide variety of, of possible outcomes that could happen. Like the most likely is that there is a redemption program that's implemented and uh, uh, you can redeem your shares for the underlying Bitcoin in kind, get paid out Bitcoin, um, that uh, a big chunk of the money that's sitting in the trust um, is, is redeemed out. There's some amount of people that hold this in their 401k or their, their IRA, um, and they wouldn't want to redeem because of the taxable implications. And so, um, and they don't want to sell their GBDC at a loss. As the redemption program for those that are not in 401ks is going on, that is going to cause the discount to close mm. so that it actually trades at the value of the I underlying gotcha. assets. Mm. Yep. And so then people in their IRAs and 401ks can then A, make the choice to sell at that point in time if they want to, um, or B, if they like the product, um, you know, it could be a good product. Um, that product is going to end up getting sold or uh, taken over by another entity. Uh, either through a bankruptcy process or an M&A process. And, um, you know, it's probably going to end up being run by a Fidelity-like company that's going to cut the fees, uh, treat their customers, um, um, like, uh, fairly, have a fiduciary duty to them, and uh, is, is going to operate it so that it can continue to exist. If it's not run like that, then ultimately it's going to have to be shut down. And for uh, anyone who doesn't redeem uh, in kind, uh, they're going to get end up getting paid out out cash at the end of the day, um, which I think is a uh, is a a negative outcome. Like I don't I don't think anybody wants to see some big market sell of a hundred thousand bitcoins or whatever, which is typically not how this stuff is done. Like it's done in an orderly fashion over time. But uh, I don't like I I I think it'd be a bad outcome to to force people into cash. And um, uh, but I will say like in the trust documents and what Gracie has said. Is that like if you try to force us to redeem, <laughs> we're gonna liquidate the whole thing into cash and uh, taking our bat and ball, and we're going home. Yeah, it's kind of like the ultimate fuck you to to everyone. Um, I can hear people thinking out there right now, listening to this, like, okay, I don't own GPTC, but there's a thirty or whatever the discount is at the moment. I don't know what it is, but so let's say it's thirty percent. I'm going to take a flyer on this, buy some of it, thinking maybe this thing comes back to par after this shit hits the fan and it all plays out. Would you, what are, you th what are your thoughts on somebody who's with that intention? Like maybe I'll buy some of this because I think maybe in the next couple of years it's going to come back to par value and it'll get restructured. I'm going to put myself in prison hoping for paradise on the other side sort of yeah. thing here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think you need to be careful playing that game. Um, you know, uh, uh, like I think, uh, first off, you have to understand that Barry's incentives are to never let 
the Bitcoin leave the trust and to never uh, uh, reduce the fees that he's charging. Let's explain that real quick, if you don't mind. The high level of like yeah. the fees are getting charged at NAV, even though there's a 30% discount. And what would happen to DCG if he lost this revenue? Can you just hit that real quick for someone that's not aware? Yeah. So, so we're going to use, it was trading at like 45%. We're going to use 50% because it's just easy, easy math, but yep. uh, it's at, I think 35% right now. So, um, so the fees are 2% on the Bitcoin trust per year on the total amount of Bitcoins that are in the trust for Ethereum. I think it's 2.5% of all the ETH that's in the Ethereum trust. Um, but that's of like the assets it's holding. When, when you actually look at the value of the instrument at a 50% discount, that's like effectively charging 4% of the market cap of the instrument. And so if I'm an investor coming in and I'm looking at like, what am I like, you know, there's five different trust products out there for me to buy that have Bitcoin in it in my IRA, which one should I buy? Um, I can buy the one that charges me half of 1% or I can buy the one that charges me 4%. Which one am I buying? It's like pretty straightforward. And so the the fees, not only are they, they soaking investors for 15,000 Bitcoin a year, but it's also dramatically reducing any interest in, in people buying this on the secondary because it's, it's a shit deal. And in theory, like let's say we were never successful on getting the trust busted. Um, and like there's no reason, and like Barry, wasn't forced into bankruptcy somehow there's no reason why barry could just couldn't say hey no redemptions ever you're never gonna get your bitcoin out we're never gonna become an etf we're like your these bitcoins are effectively our bitcoins now um and uh yeah like we're gonna take out two percent a year until there's no bitcoin left in here well in that scenario what's the fucking share worth like the discount Not much yeah, the discount could nav could be seventy five percent, which would be like all of a sudden now you're paying eight percent fees. God, what a fucking scam! So unethical too. Like, oh my god, it's unbelievable when you think about it like that. Yeah, and the, and the reason why the fees really can't come down is like he owes billions of dollars to other individuals uh, at Genesis and DCG, and for who knows what personal shit he's gotten himself into. Um, and so like his only cash cow is this trust. So he's got to pay the burn at Coindesk and the burn go through all the DCG businesses. They're all burning money basically. Yeah. So uh, it's like, okay, he's got to cover all those things. Plus he's got to pay all the debts that he owes. Like he needs every penny he can possibly get. So it's kind of like he has this attitude. It's like, okay, either, you know, fuck you or, fuck me i'm gonna fuck you obviously you know so the thing that really pisses me off thinking about it is like say i offload everything because i'm like i mean it's not even really you can't even fuck barry in the situation like if i say fuck barry i'm selling my gbtc i'm really just fucking the other gbtc holders i'm not fucking barry barry still has the bitcoin he's still getting the same fucking fee it doesn't matter it's a what a that really pisses me off. The other crazy thing, which you alluded to with Odell, but I'll summarize it, is like the the ETF game is is totally play pretend because if he does get granted this, now redemptions are open. A huge number of people are going to leave, which they can't now. They're in prison paying him out and the fees will drop massively. So it's a total, it's a total 
just facade that he wants an ETF. And it seems likely that if he does this on his own timing, he's just going to delay it as much as possible while pretending like that's his end game while collecting these exorbitant fees. I, I can't say where I've, I've heard it, but, uh, from, from, uh, uh, people in the know, they have a strategy, uh, that they're going to execute if they actually get SEC approval, um, for the CTF that will ensure that it does, the ETF does not happen for years, even after approval. So, um, because that's kind of worst case scenario, like, uh, uh, and you know, the moment I realized like truly that I'd been rugged was like when I did the math, cause I bought into this thing, like, okay, yeah, like fees will come down, but then Barry owns this ETF and it'll be the biggest, the first Bitcoin ETF. And that's going to be really just worth so much money. I did the math and it's like, he has 3% of the world's Bitcoin right now. Like, say he uh, didn't have any of this criminal shit. People trusted and liked the guy, um, and he had done a good job being an engineer. Okay, what will the fees have to be to be competitive against another Bitcoin ETF? Okay, it needs to be like 75 basis points, like max. Okay, so that means that we're basically ta talking about dropping the fees, you know, by two-thirds. Okay, well, that would mean that AUM, to keep the income th at the same level, uh, AUM would actually need to 3x. Mm -hmm. So to be able to say, okay, well, he has 3.3% of the world's Bitcoin supply. It's not possible to get to 10% of the world's Bitcoin supply. There's not even a million Bitcoins. I think there's like one and a half million Bitcoins on exchanges across all exchanges globally. So it's like, uh, it's impossible. So I was like, once I kind of realized that, it's like, fuck, there is no maximizing fee path other than keep the Bitcoin here in prison and keep extracting it at, at the fastest rate you can while you pretend to do other things. And, you know, they're, they're so disingenuous. It's, it's so scummy, but like they could offer redemptions tomorrow. Like they claim they, the SEC has to give them approval. It's all a lie. It's all fictitious. I can show you screenshots from their own filings where they say, um, uh, like they haven't even tried to get a redemption program done. Um, and, uh, they make no promises that they'll ever, ever try to, um, but they could get it, uh, done in five days time. They just have to file a notice with the sec. They don't even need approval. They just have to give notice and they could solve this problem themselves, but they, they just don't want to, they want your money. Um, and you know, like looking at like, I mean, there's so much detail that, that can be gone into here, but like the, I was looking at like a chart of AUM per year. Of like how much money was in this trust and it's like okay the aum bitcoin in the trust is growing at this like linear rate so like let's say there's like you know i'm making these numbers up but like let's say 2017 there's uh 150,000 bitcoin and 2018 there's like 170,000 2019 there's like 190,000 like linear growth great you got a product you got customers okay well then in 2020 they go from 300,000 Bitcoins that are in the trust at the beginning of the year to 650,000 Bitcoins that are in the trust by the end of the year. Okay, where did all that fucking Bitcoin come from? You know, what was the cause of that? Well, what we found out was that starting in late 2019, they rolled out this financing option at Genesis 
where they uh, allowed the three arrows and the Alamitas and all the fucking Ponzi's of the world to borrow money from them, borrow Bitcoin from them. It wasn't even their Bitcoin. It was their depositors' Bitcoin. So, you know, borrow their, their customers' Bitcoin, deposit it into their trust, which they knew the Bitcoin could never come out of, give them shares in the trust that are supposed to be restricted for like six months, but allow them under some special circumstance, which I'm not quite sure how is even legal in the first place, to then take those shares and use them as collateral to borrow more Bitcoin from Genesis so they could put into the trust. And so basically he just created like a cardboard cutout of Ponzi schemes that raided his bank, the bank of Barry, Genesis, stole his customers' Bitcoin deposits, locked them in another company that he owns, that he's extracting the fees from, and then blew them all up uh, uh, <laughs> together. And then when the collateral damage comes the, and the police come, they're like, yeah, that's horrible that that happened. But, you know, once the Bitcoin go into the trust, can't come can't out. Them out, can't come out. Like, what if SBF was like, hey, you know, one, once I took the money out of FTX and put it in Alameda, you know, I want to help you, but I can't, I can't, my hands are tied. It's like, fuck, no, that doesn't work. Fucking robs your customers. You don't get to rob a whole nother subset of customers again. Uh, it, so like, and so the discount that exists today is a byproduct of the over issuance of shares through this rehypothecation of shares that was happening at Genesis. Um, and I feel for the Genesis creditors because it's really their Bitcoin that's sitting in the trust now. Wow, that's so fucked on so many levels. It's, it's almost unbelievable that somebody could, could do that. But I guess you can't put anything past people in uh, some of these shitcoin scam space, you know? This is, I mean, and he's squarely in that, in that camp, no doubt. It's hard to know what to do right now. I mean, the three of us are in the same predicament. We own shares in, a, in some IRAs, you know, hedge positions, but it's still in there. And like, has the pain been felt and, and it would be a, the worst time to sell or is there more pain to come? And it feels like a, a coin flip. You seem optimistic that it's going to be redeemed in somewhat short order. Is that accurate? I think it's going to be redeemed eventually. Like I, I fundamentally think that uh, uh, Grayscale's perspective that um, they can steal Bitcoin from a subsidiary business of theirs they can, uh, in a corrupt fashion, lock that Bitcoin away uh, and break securities laws uh, doing so, that they can charge unbelievably non-commercial terms to extract that money into their personal bank accounts, uh, that they have no fiduciary duty to their shareholders, that their shareholders can basically be robbed. And it's totally legal because read subsection 2b of some trust documents that none of the retail investors even saw in the first place i don't think that that is fundamentally a sound argument and i don't think that's how the law works i don't think that that's how business works and if they think that they can run one of the biggest financial crimes of the modern age with no consequences uh i think that they're delusional and um there are so many well-resourced organizations working around the clock to bust this trust the the army of people that that they have set off is staggering and i'm like i'm as the one of the cool things about this is like i get to interact with all these different people and i'm so impressed with like 
the legitness of the the Bitcoin OGs that are at the table, the institutions that are at the table, the government agencies that are at the table, the uh, other ETFs that are at the table. Um, like this is a force of God, a uh, collective movement that's happening to do the right thing here. And, um, you know, Barry is under siege so many places. I think, you know, it's very likely that DCG will be pushing into bankruptcy in the next three months. Um, I think the odds are over 50% that they'll go into bankruptcy in the next three months, which just by its very self will change the ownership of DCG and therefore change who controls Grayscale, um, which then opens up all sorts of possibilities. Um, there are lawsuits happening right now run by some of the best law uh, law firms in the country many uh, lawsuits and like some filed many not filed yet um where they're getting attacked by every fucking legal like theory you could possibly imagine crafted by four thousand dollar an hour attorneys uh like like one after another after another one of these is going to work yeah and then there's like lobbyists in dc hitting congress people regulators senators house committees like gary gensler is going to be pushed on this topic here uh pretty soon as well so i think it's going to get busted i'm just kind of thinking like worst case scenario here let's let's who holds this bitcoin coinbase right coinbase has got the the keys i'm just thinking uh, like barry i mean just (laughs) as an example of like what a piece of shit this guy is right what if he just loses the keys, like literally burns these things like that's not an outside possibility. That is the kind of like tear the fucking world down possibility that everybody loses. I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. When, when, when you're a criminal, you do criminal like shit. So I can't say that, that that's beyond the, the scope of pop. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think there is like what I mean, there's so many attack angles on this thing. The you know, one of the angles is like if if Coinbase told Genesis or I'm told Grayscale that they were refused to be their custodian uh anymore and, and basically like ceased ceased servicing them tomorrow, uh that would trigger some clauses in the trust document that could uh uh result in the termination of the trust as well. Like there are so many levers to pull and uh there will eventually be a lever that is uh, effective on the shortest timeline that will that will come through, in my opinion. Um, and I think you know, I, I talked to one person that's very in the know on the Genesis creditor side, one of the largest creditors. Um, and you know, they said I used to think Barry was uh, um, shrewd, and now I just think he's dumb. And uh, he's paralyzed uh, with the reality of the moment that he's in. And he uh, is basically catonic and unable to make decisions Mm. um, to move this forward. So it's like, he's not even, he's not even the right, like, I'm a pirate on the pirate ship and like, ha ha, I'm swashbuckling to steal your Bitcoin. Like, he's not even that mindset. He's just like a, a... like, oh, wow, I've been fucking caught. I can't believe it. Um, woe is me. And, like, you know, don't answer the door as people are fucking banging it down, like, give us back our fucking Bitcoin. That's, that's kind of the, the sense of the, the situation. Hmm. If, if Bitcoin does rip right now, just hypothetically, this thing goes north of $100,000 this year, just 
what does he get? Does he buy himself more time? What does that look like? Yeah, so um, I think if Bitcoin rips, it definitely uh, buys him optionality. Uh, right now, he has really no path out of this. He has huge amounts of litigation with huge potential penalties uh, against him, and he has lots of debt outstanding. And so no one's coming to his rescue to buy Grayscale or put money into DCG. So, like, you know, no one's coming to invest in a DCG because, like, okay, there's a just the F, the Alameda lawsuit against Grayscale seeking, like, one and a half billion in damages. Who wants to go put a billion dollars in a DCG to bail out of one debt? And then, boom, another 1.5 billion comes through. So, um, but as the price of Bitcoin, like, if it goes to 100,000, that's probably, like, where it needs to go. The fees that he's fucking robbing from people will grow from, hey, I'm robbing right now 350 million a year from people and now it's going to be i'm robbing a billion dollars a year from people well okay you know how many other corrupt scumbags there are in the world that are like oh a billion dollars like shit you know yeah we'll we'll deal with the 1.5 billion dollar payout to these this lawsuit and a billion dollars every year if we can make our money back in 18 months so but it's a big number so like he needs bitcoin to like Rip to six figures. It's like going to 45 or going to like 60. That's not, that, it's not enough. Right. Man, what a f- fascinating and obnoxious reality to unpack. But I think it's worth unpacking. I think a lot of people own this, man. A lot. Like we, we admit it. We obviously it pales in comparison to what we have cold stored, but we took hedges in our Roth IRAs and stuff. It was, it's, it was the only game in town. And I think I know American HODL's got a t- like. There's a lot of hardcore people that have this in their tax advantaged accounts or or brokerage accounts or whatever. And uh, we need to smoke this rat out of the hole. Uh, <laughs> go to redeemgbtc.com, folks. We've uh, put our shares in on there, and um, I- I'm thinking the more voices, the better. Well, and, and we we have some news coming on that front. Uh, I was hoping I was going to be able to uh, announce it maybe today on Neil's podcast. Not quite yet, but uh, we have some actions coming that are going to be beneficial to the entire Redeem GBTC um, coalition. Hopefully get us some recovery on some of our, our losses. And, um, you know, please sign up. If you haven't already signed up, it takes 10 seconds to sign up. RedeemGBTC.com. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is this is the type of stuff that like we have to do as an industry if we're going to self-police and self-govern. Like... You know, we got to get rid of these bad actors. We got to get rid of the scammers. No tolerance for it. And dude, I get shit, so much shit on Twitter for being a, a GBTC shareholder. But like, I see who signs up for the, for the, the redeemgbtc.com. Dude, it is every one of your favorite Bitcoin maxis is a shareholder of this thing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, people like to dish it, but losses, a lot of losses. Yeah. Yeah. Felt here too, David. Um, absolute privilege. Yeah, thank you, man. It was great. End this rip, however you want. Yeah. Well, first off, guys, it's been fun. Thank you for having me on, and uh, hopefully, we can do this again. Uh, and uh, two people, come to Miami. Come to the Bitcoin conference. Bring your your camera. Take pictures of every little thing you don't like. Complain about it. That's half the fun. <laughs> But you do not want to miss this conference. It is a bear market conference. It's a conference uh, uh, for building. 
the conference for um, cleaning up the bullshit of the past 12 months. And, uh, you know, we as an industry, we got a lot of changes we need to make if we're going to do this next cycle right. So uh, come down, uh, meet your fellow Bitcoiners, uh, meet your next business partner, meet, meet your next co-founder, your next investor. Your next lover. Your next <laughs> lover. Uh, wait, wait, just quick uh, on that point. Is, is this like 80% or 90% men that go to this conference? What's your, do you know the demographic breakdown? So you're, I mean, you might find a lover there, but. It depends on what part of the season we're in. So in a bear market, it's like 99% men. Uh, in, the, in the bull market, it's like 75% men. This is but. in Miami, folks. Like, we're not judging. You know? Come meet your lover, dude. Come meet your lover. No matter what appendages he or she may have, they will be there. Or what they call themselves, how they identify. I will say it's a family-friendly event. Uh, the OG Bitcoiners out there, uh, they're doing the, 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 the Lord's works, uh, you know, uh, bringing life into this world. There's a lot of young families that come to it. They bring their wives. It's a good time. Uh, but come on down to Miami. Um, and if you can't afford a ticket, if the tickets are too expensive, hit us up. We will get you a discounted ticket. We, uh, like Price is not a reason not to come. We will make it work for you. So uh, hope to see you in Miami. And guys, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for wasting a, an hour and a half with a couple degenerate firemen. Dave, have a good day. Peace. Anytime. Ciao. Thank you for listening. David B. is clearly a genuine dude and a straight shooter. That discussion was an absolute blast for Josh and myself. If you like this show, help us wrangle more hogs into this pen by taking a minute to subscribe, like the show, and leave us a review on Apple or your platform of choice. If you do prefer video for podcasts and want to see our beautiful faces, as well as my full yet blonde mustache, check us out on YouTube at Blue Collar Bitcoin. The link's down in the notes. We're also on Podcast 2.0 apps for value for value sat streaming on the Bitcoin Lightning Network. On Fountain App, you can collect sats for just listening to us. There is no catch and Fountain is preposterously easy to set up. Check it out in the App Store. Folks, stay curious, stay weird, stay humble, and stay tuned for next week's installment of BCB, which will be part five of our Bitcoin Basics series. Take care.